This is Elizabeth Chapin. Hello. And I am doing another three on my journey with Helen Palmer because my daughter, Alabelle, is a three and I can't help myself. So she's joining me today on Zoom from New York City. And I ha- I did Griff Martin as my as my resident three. And I normally don't. I mean, it's the first time I've ever done a number twice, but I just really wanted to take this opportunity to do, to have a conversation with my daughter. And I might just do this in the future. We'll just see how it goes. So, hey, Alva, are you ready? Hey, yeah. (laughs) Okay, so I'm just going to start. And I mean, probably a lot of the same quotes or the same quotes that I've read to Griff, but I I think it'll be interesting in a way to have a side by side. Um. Okay. So are you going to edit these together? Huh? Sorry. Are you going to edit these together? Well, I've already put his out there. His oh, is right. Out there. oh right, right, right. And I got yeah. a little feedback. I had a salon last night and I got a, I got feedback from a one friend of mine who said that all her three friends who had listened to it said it was intense. And I was like, interesting. I know. I thought it was interesting because it didn't feel intense to me, but. I guess I think the fact that threes think it's intense. Huh? I said tales old as time, girly. Say it one more time. (laughs) Of course he didn't think it was intense. Oh, of course I didn't think it was intense. Gotcha. Gotcha. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. It's Enneagram right there. Gotcha. (laughs) Silly me. As my friend Lindsay says, get with the program. Okay, I'll be, I'll be in the middle of teaching, and she's like, "Get with the program, Elizabeth." <laughs> anyway, okay, all right. Performance and image were rewarded rather than emotional connections or a deep involvement in other people's lives, because they were loved for their achievements. They learned to suspend their own emotions and focus their attention on earning the status that would guarantee them love. The idea was to work hard for recognition, to take on leadership roles, and to win. It was very important to avoid failure because only winners were worthy of love. So one thing that I said to Griff, and and I look forward to talking to you about it, is as a four and as someone who works with the Enneagram, I don't think I raised you believing that performance and image were rewarded. But what I do think that as a four and as an alcoholic, I had so many emotions that maybe success in our family unit was, didn't give you a lot of room for your own emotions and success maybe meant managing mine in your eyes. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what I do think is interesting is that the language here is performance and image were rewarded rather than emotional connections. And I actually think emotional connections were number one in our house, but there were so big that there was no room for yours. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that that is probably 
um, I think that probably play like affects me in, in multiple ways. One of which being that like, I think I am particularly, um, um, intuitive about emotions. I don't want, I won't say that like more than other threes, but I think like you really like your your messiness aside when I was younger like you have always really championed feelings and it was definitely never a thing that that if we messed up or we didn't win that that was like judged in any way so 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 I think maybe in that way like my threeness comes across a lot more relationally than it does in like typical um competitive areas like sports or whatever you want to apply there right um but but then I also it, yes I think that it did feel I mean, you, you are obviously very emotional and as a kid, Henry, my brother was also very emotional. And so I think I felt like, um, that needed to be managed. Right. Um, and that my, and my, that felt managing or working around all the emotions of me and Henry probably as a three, if you're born a three and that's what you're born into managing our emotions felt like success, like normal. It felt normal, right? Yeah. Yes, for sure. For sure. Um, and so I just, and it felt, helpful. it felt what helpful and helpful. like, um, necessary Love. yes yes you th you thought you're doing loving loving but also like it felt necessary i think yeah what do you mean by necessary i i just think i think then and less so now because i try to work on it like it feels impossible to not be like assaulted by <laughs> people's feelings mm -hmm. and not all people but like m some people more than others and to not let it feel like a failure on my part or like something that needs to be fixed so I think that um like, especially when I was a kid and I, I wasn't like aware, I guess I just really felt like my, my role, like something that I was like good at doing and like that I was like successful at doing. And yeah, I just couldn't tolerate, I couldn't tolerate like a messy, an emotional messiness that felt that I couldn't like understand. Hmm. That's good. I think it's so important to hear that. It's a completely different way of coming at it. They adopt the prototype image of any group 
the obviously the executive, the super mom, the hippie, whatever. They are chameleons. Because threes conform to qualities that are valued in the American culture, they present a surface appearance of optimism and well-being. They do not appear to suffer and may live out their entire lives oblivious to the fact they have lost a vital connection to their own interior life. Um, I I just like the concept of prototype for threes. Do you like that? Mm-hmm. Prototype rep- yeah. represents whatever your ethos is. So whatever your ethos is, you become the prototype. Yeah. I think a prototype feels really awesome. Like, I think we just, we, me, I really love to be able to like identify with an archetype or a mold of something that feels like really easy. Mm -hmm. Um, And also to be able to fit everyone into into prototypes what i it's it's i mean i think this is a thing everybody loves to categorize obviously but like i think i've always gotten a specific satisfaction from like categorizing people into types um as a way of like i guess as a form of control or like as a way of like understanding them or dismissing them even um but yeah, I think like prototypes for myself. Um, so, uh, you're saying prototypes for yourself and maybe prototypes for other people as well. You see them. Now. Yeah. Yeah. But, and for myself, it's like a nice, it's a, it's an easy way to self identify mm-hmm. when you like on a deeper level can't self identify really. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a prototype is a way of kind of bypassing emotion. Yeah. 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 Activity as a natural antidepressant. Um, mm-hmm. Do you agree with the concept of not appear like the appearance of optimism, well-being? They do not appear to suffer and may live their entire lives oblivious to their own interior life. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I mean, I definitely don't appear to suffer. Mm -hmm. I don't think I do suffer really. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think, yes, I think it's hard for me to say because I've been so like encouraged by you and been doing this kind of thing for so long that like, I feel like I'm pretty aware of my interior or like mm-hmm. I feel like I'm self-aware, but I also, I guess, I guess, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I guess, I guess I was going to say that I guess there are moments where I am struck with the like existential terror of like, of like, I don't really know as if I have been living in a um, dream or like I've been sleepwalking or I've been like, just like living as a robot Mm -hmm. and just doing things, doing the things, doing the things. And you're like, 
but I think um, everybody kind of deals with that to some extent, obviously. Sure. Um, last, last night we were all talking about how those moments of existential terror or the moments of sensing oneself as a vacuum are that basically the Enneagram in some sense is a, a the nine ways of co coping with that. <laughs> you know and so I, I like looking at it that way because I think we're all yeah. dealing with that it's just that we've put on different um yeah different personality costumes for that mm -hmm. little journey that journey that we're in a life that focuses on personal performance necessarily sacrifices an interior life that stems from intimacy and emotional questioning most threes are not aware that their preoccupation with doing prevents an emergence of the kind of creativity that can only develop out of prolonged periods of time devoted to being and feeling free time without the guarantee of knowing what they have to do next is frightening. I, so I am really interested in this idea of free time and long periods of this I was saying to Griff the Wendell Berry quote uh, do something that doesn't compute so this mm. kind of time of doing things that don't compute which I think aggressive people are probably pretty afraid of mm -hmm. is the connection to your creative voice it yeah totally it 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 links you to her and it expands the space in which she can inhabit your body. Right. Yeah. Well, it's, that's like, like basically exactly what um, this artist, Precious Okoyamon, I'm not actually entirely sure how to say their last name, was talking about um, how important that is to like have they had they had some word like stolen like like not stolen but basically time that they have to take away from the day-to-day -day mm. for themselves that is like just for allowing yes whatever happen and they have to carve that out very intentionally um without any like expectations of themselves and that is where the creativity comes from and that's where the the like this drive to keep going even comes from and and, mm. and they're like very successful and they have a million things going on in every every fucking art fair in the world and so that's very compelling and super it's compelling information and it's also like hard for them to do that i'm sure um sure. when it's like i have so many deadlines but um yeah they said it in a really poetic way that i cannot possibly recall but um yeah i think that that's super super hard for a three for someone i mean especially at this time in my life like just because i have like any free time I have I'm like I need to be using this time productively like if I'm not like working 
mm-hmm. or figuring out what I'm going to do next, mm-hmm. um, then it's a waste. And, I, and then another thing that my professor, my visual arts professor says is that we, we have to come in to the studio at least one time in the week and just sit there in the room mm. for like an hour and not do anything. I love that. Which I never did and <laughs> sounds horrible. <laughs> but I mean, I, honestly, I think it's why I miss smoking cigarettes so much because I used to smoke and sit in my studio and just look at everything. Yeah. It was very uh, focusing, but also not doing. Yeah. I I, I think it's super important, but fucking hard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Also, do you think that when as a doer and as someone who's constantly doing an activity feels like kind of a lifeline do you feel like when you get exhausted you tend to instead of resting you just kind of do something that's that's mindless mindless but not restful watch keeping up with the kardashians right <laughs> not that's, necessarily but like but something like that and and yeah. i wonder if that's uh i mean i just think it's it's something probably not restorative yeah definitely not i mean something that just sort of keeps you from like actually existing for an hour Right. <laughs> but um, that's also, I mean, I, I think that is sadly a somewhat our, our generation as a whole. Um, I, yes, I think so. Really have like know how to just rest, rest mm-hmm. or be alone. Or be alone or yes, yes. The word performer. Oh, I don't want to miss this. They're intolerant of underachievers and those who let their emotions pull them down. Do you feel intolerant of underachievers? Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of judgment <laughs> of people <laughs> that, I mean, I, this is, I have a lot of judgment of people that are overachievers, but let it show. Under, underachievers. No, no, no. Well, yeah. Okay, okay. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. I have a lot of, into, I have a lot of intolerance for underachievers and lazy people. Um, but I also have a lot of intolerance for overachievers that let it show how much they're working. Right. That probably brings out the competitiveness in you. Yeah. I think, it, yeah, I think it brings out the competitiveness and I think it, it also the disdain for people that don't know how to just like seem like they're not suffering and or mm. make things look effortless or let people that have to like project this their own stress or whatever they're feeling into the space agreed I'm like it's boring it's boring I mean it's like you always say like people that are like oh I'm so busy like we're all so busy shut up yeah um 
and yeah the emotional thing for sure I mean it just is like yeah those who let emotions pull them down yeah yeah I mean I think I mean I'm Want them to move extremely on. lucky that I haven't dealt with any like serious mental illness or like knock on wood depression like I, I deal with anxiety as anyone does but um so sadly I have very little compassion for people that are debilitated by their minds um I have a lot of friends that are who I love but I just like cannot understand mm -hmm. but I think that's a there's a difference between that and then like emotions dragging you down which is far far more frustrating yeah that can just just like drama you know like someone's yeah. emotional drama yeah. yeah um the word performer brings to mind a person who is personally vain but in fact threes are vain about what they do these are people whose self-esteem depends on product recognition i, I love product recognition rather than <laughs> being personally adored yes and also i've said this before in other podcasts being a self-preserving three i definitely don't want to be personally adored <laughs> right right nothing could be more disgusting i think um <laughs> yeah it's i, I want to be like successful and i want to be seen as successful and seen as someone who does good work <laughs> yes no I I hear that I hear that um in intimate relationships threes find that they alter into what an intimate person should look like and say the things that an intimate person would say but they are often simultaneously aware of projecting an image of how an empathic person is supposed to act rather than being connected to the feelings that intimacy implies. That's funny. That makes us sound like sociopaths. <laughs> well, um, I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, for sure. I mean, I, I recognize this in you in that I know that you, because and, and our salon last night was about twos. And so we were kind of talking about how twos have that empathic ability, which threes do as well. And so, of course, a two is going to use their superpower of empathy to seduce people because they can, you know. And of course, a three is going to use her empathic ability to make things smoothly socially successful and to make you know make the relationship work it's very different from a two seduction it's more about the relationship playing out in a mm -hmm. way that feels correct to you mm -hmm. right yeah, yeah. Do you, uh, and, and I also I know that sometimes like, like I can, 
it's it's interesting because like a two seduction, I can feel that coming on. And when you're giving me like warm, nice answers to whatever I'm talking to you about, it doesn't, it's not, it's not seduction, but it's, it's your way of just moving through it without, without a lot of engagement. Yeah. Um, to me that it's, it's visible. I can watch a two do that and I can watch a three do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like the quote says, I think we can watch ourselves do it. I think I've like talked about this before of like, I feel like I have sort of disembodied moments where I'm like being nice. Right. (laughs) But I don't really know what's going on. And I'm just kind of watching myself be nice and like say these things. And I'm like, I am barely aware of this conversation. (laughs) Right. um and I think that that's more in general with like uh yeah I mean friends and acquaintances where I'm like these are the things that I know are correct to say to like make this all good um right but it's also like where is this even coming from it's like freaky like sometimes I freak myself out Mm -hmm. um I think uh I think like um romantically that's some that's a space that I've always felt like I didn't know the code for so that kind of intimacy is just like um pure panic mode um I think like there are models of intimacy um, in relationships that I've obviously observed and that I'm like, okay, this is what it looks like. And this is what's correct. But I think, um, uh, yeah, I think like, that's not something, I don't know. I think in friendships, that's more something where I'm like, I know how that I can do this successfully with you. I'm like, I know, I know this rodeo. <laughs> right. I mean, we, it, that's also something we were talking about last night is that intimacy is a problem for everybody. And I think a lot of that is because what is modeled for us in both in novels and on, on, on in media and film yeah. is, a version of intimacy that is not correct. That's not true. It's not po- It's not really possible. Right. Um, and it's not what intimacy is. It just yeah. isn't. So I think w- one's journey in life towards oneself is a, a, is a real journey to understanding what intimacy is specifically for you. And I think, I mean, I struggle with it. Um, I think I get caught up in how, what intimacy is supposed to look like. And I would imagine that for threes being image conscious, that this is a specifically tricky area. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And also just being, um, someone that has like, you know, voraciously consumed these 
models of intimacy through media and books and never throughout my whole life I think it's really hard to not like play a character Mm. um and I know like my friend who's a seven this is like similar almost thing where she like compulsively plays manic pixie dream girl in all her uh interactions with men with this like underlying fear of like I'm sort of tricking them but (laughs) they don't know it like it's all a mirage which is interesting I think that that's also just like because like the seven fear of pain but um yeah, and y'all are both in the aggressive stance. So you're all aggressive stance. And I think are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Self-deception deepens if a three begins to identify with the mannerisms of an effective leader or my partner's ideal lover to the point where the adopted image can replace authentic needs. Um uh i i wrote out in the margin i'm not sure why i wrote it out here oh 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 identifying with the mannerisms of an effective leader or my my ideals my partner's ideal lover um i have first of all i think instagram is a showcase for three mannerism and i think because instagram is a showcase for culture uh, and so therefore a showcase for three, uh, mannerisms. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I can, I feel like I have a three dar and I think Instagram helps you, helps me with my three dar and I can watch threes, whatever their ethos is they. And so that becomes their prototype whatever the mannerisms, the verbiage of that prototype slash ethos is how they talk on Instagram. And Instagram is where they get it. So it's like on Instagram, it becomes all certain, you know, whatever your prototype is, talk like they talk like this on Instagram. All these people talk like this on Instagram. All these people talk like this on Instagram. And so I watch threes, talk like whatever their that group is on Instagram. And, yeah. and, and so if you know the three personally, then you're like, wait a minute, why are they talking like that on Instagram? I mean, of course I'm a four, so I'm like really asking that, but I think, I guess what I'm trying to say is that threes adopt the mannerisms of their prototype in life. And they also do it on social media, which then perpetuates the prototype in life. And it's like, you're never getting off that train, you know? Yeah. I think that's definitely true. Um, Yeah, I think on a super superficial level. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Threes... And I, um, like my speech patterns really fluctuate depending on who I'm emulating. And 
Exactly, exactly. Um, Beach, so, uh, even the way I dress, like I, you know, that can change, like based on where I'm working mm -hmm. um, or the people I'm around, what kind of like person I'm being for that um, is very shifting. Yeah. It's, it's wild. Yeah. Um, so, um, there has never been a time, this is a three talking, there has never been a time when I have not been measuring my value in terms of something tangible that other people could look at. And so when she is performing, she is being noticed, but she describes that as being fed from a very small well of love. So it became a cycle. Every achievement became the benchmark for the next success. Achievements were not cumulative. You had to keep on doing more. So my value came to mean that I had what I had done that day or on that test or in that interaction. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, that's exhausting, though. I think we all do it to an extent. Yeah, I, I think so. I think it's like hard to locate like a source of meaning or fulfillment or um, value internally. So that can be really exhausting if you're not at a place where you're, you know, meeting goals, succeeding on a day-to-day -day basis in, in some way, because then it's like, you just like, you know, you don't have a benchmark. You're adrift. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Do you think you can ever turn the drift into that creative space we were talking about earlier? Ideally, um, I think it's too scary. It's too scary when you don't have the next benchmark. But I think that's the moment when you can do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's definitely terrifying. But um, that is probably the only the moment that it, that a three can do it because it's, it's especially hard for a three to carve out that space if there are a lot of benchmarks you know right right um, um yeah so in terms of productivity i could take a couple of classes on a business topic and get myself hired to teach once i've got the surface elements there's an internal challenge to get in there and be accepted as an authority I wrote out to the side, that's aggressive, <laughs> but I also wrote out. So I had a long conversation with, with Griff about this, about kind of the aggressive stances. Um, compulsion to, to do a little bit of research or a little bit of something and then cons consider themselves an expert. And I think this is particularly true for threes more than sevens and eights. And um, I think it's another way to talk about what a shortcut looks like. Mm -hmm. And I also think linked to that is that 
threes don't want to be beginners and it feels awkward and uncomfortable. So they kind of just skip. And, And with that image consciousness on board too, they can just kind of magically skip to expert and kind of get people to believe it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it's hard to like not have tangible markers of like success and legitimacy. And I think threes are, we're also just like impatient to get there, get there. Um, And it's uncomfortable to like, you know, I, that's where I am. I'm like, pure beginner status in life (laughs) Uh, pure beginner status (laughs) well for real like anything I start now like I am in like I'm not settled there I'm not the expert there I'm not I don't know what's going on and I think that that's like a really uncomfortable thing and I think um it's like hard to to really view it as like this is going to be a learning experience and like I'm gonna allow what happens to happen and like make mistakes and I'll figure it out and it will get me to where I want to go in life it's like if it's not immediately perfect and like I'm not immediately perfect um it doesn't feel successful. And I think that's like a daily anxiety of like, like how can I tell that this is successful and I'm, I'm successful here. Right. But don't you feel like it's so warped concept of, I mean, nobody is immediately successful. Right. I mean, obviously it's completely irrational. And it's, it's being, you know, made worse by social media, right? Because it, it, it looks like everyone is immediately successful. Yeah. And it's easy to make yourself look that way. And it's tempting. And like, um, social media exacerbates it. And for sure. Yeah. Yeah. She talks about polyphasic activity, which is just her way of talking about um, activity and production as a form of control and many balls in the air. I thought that was an interesting word to use polyphasic. Just the fact that y'all are doing lots of things at the same time. Mm -hmm. Do you agree with that? I do agree with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I thought I'll also like earlier in the chapter, she talked about activity as an antidepressant. So I was Mm -hmm. kind of thinking, well, if you have polyphasic activity, then you really haven't, uh, you really, you're like, uh, it's like insurance on your antidepressant. I also think the multitasking is like related to the shortcutting and that you're like, it's hard to look at things like I'm going to do this first and do it completely and well. And then I will move on to the next thing. Yeah. It's like, no, it all needs to be done right now. Or it's like, or I, and so it's like anything that you are focusing on that moment, you're thinking about all the other things that also need to be done. And so it is like a compulsive thing. 
yeah. only made worse by like our the attention spans of this generation. Right. So monkey mind and monkey activity. Yeah. It can be painful for threes to recognize that they have needs that run counter to a high profile image that maximizes the effectiveness of a role. I don't, uh, is that? Um, a, <laughs> can you know. read it again? <laughs> well, it's just, I think it's just, you're recognizing that your needs run counter to something that you're doing. Uh, that whatever you're engaged with that you care about and you like, that you suddenly realize that your true core needs run counter to the successful operation of that thing that you care about and love. Have yeah. you ever experienced that? Um, not in a big way. I think in small ways, in maybe in work or in, relationships I mean I guess mostly in relationships I've experienced it of like I I'm like put myself in a position because you do like it is a thing that you that are you saying that your needs run counter to the relationship working is that what you're saying yes you you put yourself aside or like you don't let yourself exist in the relationship for long enough and you don't you you escape intimacy long enough that the relationship becomes completely the other person and, and you've ad adopted their mannerisms and everything so mm. when you're with them and so you're just like completely this shape-shifted version of yourself and then at a certain point depending on the kind of person it is that can really blow up because you, at a certain point, you're not going to be able to meet the expectation you set of who you are. Right. Like at some point, in some way. Because it's not you? Because it's, it's not you. feeling like it's you? Because it's not you or stops feeling like it's you or just because it becomes exhausting because... Right you are playing this role and then and then it you're like wait i don't want to and then you maybe you stop and that feels like a betrayal or that feels shocking to the person that is used to you playing that role right and there i think probably the exhaustion is linked to the performance so if you're yeah. just not performing the relationship the exhaustion wouldn't happen. Yeah. Unless, unless the other person just had some issues and was just yeah. an exhausting person. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. Um, but the exhaustion for yourself, the exhaustion that you can take responsibility for, I think is linked mm -hmm. to performance. Um, work is the preferred area of interest, but if a more laid back way of life is what is accepted, then a three will likely adopt that style and can spend years living out an image rather than getting in touch with real emotional preferences. So I thought yeah. I, I, th I like a performer will adapt into being the prototype of whatever cultural norm is, is valued, whatever cultural norm is valued. So that's, I, I love that. And 
you know, I always try to talk about that whenever I can, because I think most of the Enneagram literature is all, all the, the CEO stuff. And so I yeah. think it's really important to talk about how threes can adopt a whatever, mm-hmm. if it feels, if it's in their ethos and it's the prototype they want and, and it's maybe some, I'm, I'm trying, can you think of, can you think of a surprising ethos? That a three might adopt a nudist. <laughs> <laughs> that did that surprised me. I was like shamanistic <laughs> healer. Uh, well, that's all farmer, farmer foodie. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. But just whatever. Yeah, like you know. any kind of like rural aesthetic. I think would is like surprising for a three. Yeah, quote unquote. Because we're so used to this, like, corporate social model. Mm-hmm. What a three is. Right. And, it's, and, like, you can see, like, the person I follow on Instagram, Turkua's Kitchen. You know, she, I don't know where she lives. She's She looks like she lives in Romania with, like, outfits from Little House on the Prairie. She has nothing but, a, you know, all yeah. hand tools she doesn't have any electric cooking tools oh right yeah and so she's very I'm assuming she's very rural she might not be but it seems like she's you know some homesteader out in the middle of Romania somewhere and but she is making this insane food every day and dressed like all the things are dialed right so that's a that's a very specific prototype but she's She's living it hard. She's doing it hard. I guess like any domestic prototype too. Exactly. Surprising. It's like, you know, because that's not really a marker of a traditional marker of success, anything domestic. Yes. It, yes. And I, so I do think it was say maybe in the fifties for, for certain women. Yeah. Um, particularly in the deep south but but now that's quite um that's I mean I think there's a resurgence actually of the domestic right now as like a aesthetic like that woman's very like cottage core there's like the whole cottage core thing that's like a little bit outdated now but um that whole movement and this like idyllic idea of like being in your house with your apron making your food I think it's like super there's like a whole community of women that are into that right now and then like domestic crafts becoming kind of uh this is partly co- like pandemic related but having their like resurgent moment mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I guess yeah that is kind of like a ethos mm-hmm. that I see I see that around yes the replacement of real feelings with an acceptable performing self can be particularly painful to threes when they realize that they can make honest and enduring commitments to their intimates couched in all the appropriate nuances and an engaging presentational style without being truly connected to the emotions that they hear themselves describe. I, th- I guess we kind of already talked about that really, but then she goes on to talk about real rage can come from this that when you kind of 
get tired of doing that and you run mm-hmm. out of steam on that when you hit a wall with this discrepancy there can be a lot of anger um, yeah yeah and I think I think it's like really hard to communicate obviously your feelings to recognize them and then to communicate them so like if you're feeling this way with someone that you're quote-unquote intimate with and it's like a recurring feeling that you can't necessarily like even voice like I'm sure that 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 does transform into some kind of resentment or anger right she I'm going to read this sentence to you because I think it's really good threes are angry with the fact that others fall so easily for a good front and that they have not been valued for themselves so to me that just feels like a real setup because you give us the front, then you get mad that we fall for the front. Yeah. No, I think that's actually super true though. Cause I think it's like, I have this stubborn dedication to like keeping up the front, but then when I'm not feeling like that on a day where maybe like I'm actually upset about something like, and I can recognize that, like, I'm not going to stop doing the front, but I'm going to be mad if you can't like somehow also know that I'm upset Hmm. so when real feelings emerge that's when that just you get mad about that that about us not about us buying the front but not being able to see beyond the front yeah is is it does it feel like most of the time you're kind of going da 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 da, da and it's fine and the front's fine da, 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 and it's like your coping mechanism except then you have a bad day and you're feeling weird about something and then we're not clued into your deeper self because mm-hmm. we've trained us not to be mm-hmm. yeah wild wild <laughs> and also I think it's like a uh you are also questioning, I'm also questioning, like, if that feeling that I think I recognize, whatever kind of brand of ickiness it is, like, whether it's valid, or like, whether it's a real feeling, um, Mm -hmm. or if it's, or if it's something that needs to be felt, or like, is um, irrational, um, there's a lot of that where it's like, I don't know. I think like, I don't know if this is a valid way to feel about this. And then I have to like, think about it a lot and like, yeah, just like think about it a lot, whether it's like actually a way I should feel. So I think that that makes it um, particularly hard to have real intimacy is because it's like, you know, the most basic part of that is just communicating your feelings. Mm-hmm. And that's a, it's a really hard thing to learn as a three when like, I'm so committed to the front, whether I'm or not, I'm aware of that always. Right. Right. The attention of performers is focused on comparative status and on the acquiring of status symbols that are the tangible evidence of success. I think that 
I think comparative status is a something that the two threes and fours all deal with. Mm-hmm. And I think for threes, it's just very outward directed, very image directed. Yeah. That comparative status. Um, yeah. If someone's like coming for your prototype. <laughs> if someone's coming for your prototype. That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> that's funny. So, so much is invested in success that if an objective failure does occur, threes redefine the failure as a partial success or pin the blame on others. There is an urge to escape a shaky project or a sinking relationship and move quickly on to better things. There will be no feeling of failure in another promising opportunity if another promising opportunity can be mobilized quickly. Threes can change jobs and change identities without breaking stride. And as long as there is enough activity and enough hope for a better future, negative feelings can be kept at bay. Their extreme adaptability is a blessing and a curse. Burden was her actual word, a blessing and a burden. Yeah. I think that's really a powerful paragraph. Because... Adaptability is y'all's, it is y'all's superpower. And it's also what gets you far away from yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're true. Feelings have always seemed incompatible. This is a three. Feelings have always seemed incompatible with getting the job done. You can either sit around and be emotional or you can get on with it. <laughs> um. It has been hard, for example, for me to recognize that other people slow down under pressure or that they get disoriented if their private life is not working out. I feel like that's a just kind of another way of like what we were saying earlier about being kind of impatient with people who are underachievers or have let feelings drag them down. It's just that whole thing is always going on, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's important to kind of, I guess this person is realizing that other people just respond to life's pressures differently than she does. Yeah. I think like people that take things really personally, like sensitive people, I don't know. (laughs) Like like your mama. Yeah. 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 Yeah, like you. <laughs> yeah, like me. I know. I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. It feels entitled, right? Mm-hmm. It yeah. does. It feels selfish. Cases, I will say it is entitled because there are, again, bringing back to a lot of our generation has been taught that it is okay to have like your special circumstances, not to come for people that deal, again, I'm not trying to come for people that deal with mental health problems, Mm -hmm. but like in the workplace, you encounter a lot of my generation who just like can't function, uh, period. Uh (laughs) Because it's like you, you need to take a quote unquote mental health day. You need to like, you're feeling anxious and you need to leave the room. 
or, you know, whatever it is. Like, I think in many cases that is entitlement um, because there are those of, there are people that deal with these things and they suck it up and they will keep working. Right. Well, I think Having that said, I a million people would come for me for saying that because I know that sure. people actually deal like have panic attacks and stuff, but like just being at Barnard, it's it fucking ridiculous. It's fucking ridiculous. Like, yeah. like, you know, I'm somebody that, that wants to be praised for the work I'm doing, but I'm not going to let, you know, some criticism of that work make me sad and then affect everything else, you know, right. and then there are people, right. there are people that shut down and there are people that have to, you know, people are sensitive. This generation is sensitive. Right. And, 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 I, and, it's, and it comes from entitlement, it comes from a lot of entitlement, but right. that is kind of a separate conversation. <laughs> Well, I mean, honestly, I, I would just say as a, as a four who's your mother and I'm not in your generation, um, I thought for a long time I was entitled to my feelings. And I think I thought they were interesting or I thought that was how people would know me or how I would find my way in the world or something that it would feel that it felt honest and connecting and all those things. And it's taken me a really long time and a lot of work to realize that in every, oh, okay. Like last night I was saying, every time I walk into a room and I'm, you know, I'm 51 and I'm 13 years sober, but every time I walk into a room, I say to myself, de-center yourself now because I'm so emotional and so sensitive that I have a habit, a bad habit of walking into spaces with all my feelings and quote anxiety. And I can't, and that feels normal to me as a four, but what I'm doing is centering myself emotionally in the space. And I'm not intentionally centering myself emotionally in the space, but I am centering myself emotionally in the space. And so when I look at it that way, I'm so embarrassed. And it's not what I really want to do. I want to be known, but I don't want to be entitled. And I don't want to center myself emotionally in the space. So it has taken me a long time to have a little more discipline around that and, and, and focus channel, I guess you could say, well, a just realize that I don't have to have all the feelings that I can table some feelings that I can finish some feelings that I can squelch some feelings and then I can redirect or divert feelings to my painting or to my journal or to my dog. <laughs> so just appropriate places, you know? So I do think it's I, all that to say, that was a long winded way of saying that what you're saying is apt. It's appropriate to say, to talk about. I mean, it's a good thing to talk about. Yeah. But there's like a balance. For there's sure. a balance. Like, yeah. you know, I walk into a social situation where I'm not like a hundred percent comfortable 
I'm it's like a fucking battlefield. It's like every man for himself. And we gotta we gotta figure out how we're gonna, you know, make it through who we're gonna be, how we're gonna, you know, come off in these certain way to these people that I don't know. Right. Um, and like succeed at this social situation that I can go home and be like, okay, they think this is the impression that they got and like I seemed this way and I came off this way. And so it was good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Check. And that's, you know, equally as fucked up. Right. 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 Yeah. And so I think that that's an example where, yeah, you and I can walk towards each other. It's yeah. It's, yeah. I, oh, I love this. I love this so much. So she talks about anger and how it's the most difficult thing to deal with. And she kind of goes away when she's having a lot of anger and she comes back out and to be in front of people when she's kind of dealt with it. And then she goes on to say, it's, this is a, a personal story about three. It seems to me that I cannot get to what I'm feeling in the moment. That mm-hmm. I need space and time to figure it out. But then if I get too much space, I know that I'll have the time to develop a script that sounds genuine, even to me. Yeah. The safest strategy seems to be for me to ask for time to figure out what I feel and to agree to a discussion at some definite point in the near future. Yeah. So good, right? Yeah, so good. I think when Griff and I were talking about it, we were like, Four days is too long. Maybe even a day is too long. He said he could have a script in a day. He said he needed like maybe a couple hours. Yeah, I think it depends on the feeling though. Because I think some feelings I can't recognize until three months later. Oh. Um, Why? Okay, that was. But yeah, I mean, for small feelings. For small little social mashups. Small social mashups. Yeah, I think probably two days is good for you. And I think you have to. And you don't get a script going. I mean, I think the script starts immediately, but I don't think you can have any real clarity on like how you literally feel about it for at least a day. Okay. You start writing the script and then you like scrap it a couple of times because you're like, okay. I mean, because I'm doing that thing too where I'm like, okay. This is how I'm pretty sure I feel, but is that valid? Like in this particular instance, (laughs) or like, is that legitimate? Can it be defended? Can it be reasoned? Um, And then one of the things Griff talked about is that he's always asking himself that question and that his therapist is like, all feelings are valid. Like you don't, you should never ask yourself if that feeling is valid because it's just all feelings are valid. Yeah. All feelings are quote unquote valid, but like there's someone who's right and there's someone who's wrong. Oh, you're talking. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. You're talking and, about ending yourself. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, and I think there are moments you feel jealousy and there are moments you feel envy and there are moments you feel, uh FOMO and there are moments you feel judgment and those are feelings you process by yourself and you put them the fuck away and you can call them valid but like because you feel that way and like yes it's okay to feel jealous and all these things but like 
you shouldn't let that inform the way you behave. Oh, I agree with that. I agree with that. I think that's just being healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Having some self-control. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I I think there's a difference between no self-control emotionally and realizing as a three that there is a very broad landscape of quote acceptable feelings there's a that's that's what I'm trying to say yeah and so she's talking about in authority relationships and groups of people um they can offer unqualified commitment to the task and an optimism about future success they move directly from an idea into action and are willing to take on other authorities with opposing views um, working around existing authorities. They get jobs done by cutting corners with an appreciable loss of quality control. But I mean, I think in general, what she's kind of saying is that they can be very good, very good at work other than the cutting corner thing. Maybe let's see if there's anything else I want to talk about. She talks about the concept of identification, which is when basically your ethos becomes everything. Um, Mm. The meeting of image and attention, the meeting of image and attention is called identification. It's a defense mechanism by which we become like people or prototypes that we are exposed to when we were young. I don't know if you feel that way. She says, uh, for most of us, psychological identification means something like I am like my mother or I am an American. For a three, identification can mean I have become the prototype of what I do. When identification takes place, a three has difficulty separating personal worth from the worth of the three's product. And if the product comes under question, then the three feels personally attacked. I mean, yes, to the last thing you said, absolutely. Yeah. That can certainly be a horrifying experience mm-hmm. to have your product as we're calling it <laughs> product uh rejected to have your product your prototype rejected yeah i think you are doing polyphasic activity alabel chapin right now you're podcasting with your mother while clipping your nails aren't you Yes. Yes, you are. I caught you. Polyphasic three. Yes. Yeah. I think that you just said a jumble of a lot of other things that I might need you to repeat. Oh. Okay. Well, you have to, you cannot cut your nails while we're on a podcast. Uh, Well, just, just the, when the product comes under question, the three feels personally attacked. So that that whole over identification with your prototype being drained by the hurry habit. I think that's kind of good, but they also describe times when they have worked and felt themselves aligned with the pacing and flow that is natural to a particular task. Three say that it's like being suspended in the midst of an inexhaustible energy. You're aware that work is being carried along rather than that you, that rather than that you have to direct it. My mind gets quiet at high speed. So this is talking about alignment and flow which I guess is like when you're who you truly are is aligned with your activity and work and what Uh you're up to. So this is, she's saying that 
it's you feel like a flow state like it's positive like you don't have to direct the work you're doing yeah I mean well I think she's saying it feels like a flow rather than a direction right yeah I mean I think I I uh experience that very rarely but um <laughs> it's a sign of that you're doing something right though I think yeah 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 I think it's hard to get into that just for all the reasons we've said like yeah it's hard to not think about what's next or all the other things that you could be getting done and to allow like that that requires a lot of just allowing that is really difficult I think allowing is the big word today why have a self if it's going to suffer a three ass himself the saner approach might be to identify with the cultural standards suspend your emotions and abandon yourself Mm -hmm. these are often convinced of their own psychological soundness which sounds like you are Uh, (laughs) emotional distress is for losers (laughs) for those who have time on their hands or who cannot keep up the pace They are likely to be aware of the fact that they do not like sticky emotions or do not like to feel that they have emotional needs, but the fact that their range of feelings is very small is likely to be overlooked. Mm. What do you think about that? Um, That's interesting. I haven't really thought about range of feelings before. Yeah. So I think, I think that's important. Um, Griff is doing a lot of work with the therapist and that's one of the things that comes up a lot for him is that his range of, because he's judging his feelings all the time Mm -hmm. and kind of like a one is doing ones are judging their thoughts and their feelings and everything, I guess, but threes are trying to repress their feelings and not get stuck in them because it doesn't feel efficient and successful so it just doesn't leave you with a lot of feelings that you have a lot of practice with yeah that's that 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 feels true Mm -hmm. yeah and so I think that's like something that's very tangible for threes to think about and work on yeah yeah I think three I think I definitely come off that way if I think about it like Mm -hmm. I think being convinced of one's own psychological soundness is a way to feel safe and to be dismissive of people's psychological unsoundness is a way to feel safe. And I'm not saying you are, I think you are quite sound actually, but I think the investment in psychological soundness creates some disconnections with other people and with oneself. Yeah. Yeah. I think a one's a one's commitment to goodness, personal goodness disconnects them from other people and themselves. Yeah. It's just, it's just important to realize like, you know, what you're up what what are you up to? <laughs> you know, like, what am I up to? And realizing that that what that thing that you value so much like a, a nine is so up to having peace and that being so up to that um actually disconnects you from self and from others yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. You can't even like give legitimacy to the moments that are less psychologically sound. (laughs) Right. Uh, So you definitely can't really do that for other people. Yeah. There's very little, you know, patience for that. Right. I mean, I wonder like what we should like you should get like a really depressed three on this podcast i don't know how i'd find that person i know i don't know. really depressed three wouldn't slide in my dms please you probably don't know they're depressed yeah i mean what does a really depressed three look like i mean suzanne always says they get they get nine energy so a really depressed three looks like somebody who's just kind of lying around yeah so I love this. I'll end on this last, this paragraph on page 162 for threes, the shift in awareness from deceit to honesty could be described as a gradually emerging side effect that stems from learning to tell the difference between truthful feelings and the need to do well in the eyes of others in the process of making that shift. Threes are likely to experience a period of voluntary suffering in which a protective habit that developed in childhood is given up in order to become psychologically free. So I'm really interested in the concept of voluntary suffering. I mean, I think it's a really good word that Helen uses here mainly because like threes are you know, they would have to voluntarily suffer because they're invested in not suffering. Right. Right. So when three start doing work and start recognizing their own true feelings, then they decide with that work that they're doing, that it's worth it for them to feel the suffering in order. What I think is beautiful that she says here is is when a, a protective habit that developed in childhood is get through that suffering, through that voluntary suffering, this protective habit from childhood is given up. And in giving up the protective habit, that's where you get to psychological freedom. And, you know, I don't know. I think that would be, it'd be interesting for, like, are you aware of psychological habits that you put on as a child in order to protect yourself and how that can be related to keeping you not free today? Um, well, shit. (laughs) I, uh, psychological habits. Um, I mean, I'm aware, I'm aware of all the same thought patterns kind of running more amok in my child brain like image comparing and and competition and um managing people and their feelings and so do you think feeling management was that's probably one we can for sure say is something that you picked up as a child for to cope with me Right. I mean, because yeah. I think all the comparative stuff and the image stuff is like, that's your threeness and you pick that up from culture. Right. And I guess what I'm more interested in is like what you specifically as a self-preserving three picked up to mm-hmm. protect yourself 
as a little girl? What felt, you know, what habits made you feel safe that are not, that are keeping you from seeing who you are today? Or, or honestly, as a self-preserving three, I think it's really interesting. Like I'm wondering that whole concept of uh, vanity about not having vanity. Mm -hmm. Like, so you're trying to not be that image conscious comparative person, right? And you yeah. feel conflictual about having that be a part of your yeah. your life. Is that somehow something that you got involved with early on? And like, is, I mean, it's, it's part of that is what makes you sort of, the, as people call you, quote, modest. Part of it is sort of a lovely thing because sometimes a, just a blaring three is really not something mm-hmm. that we like that much, right? And so it's always kind of tempered your personality in sort of a beautiful way, your mm-hmm. self-preserving nature, but it's also hindered you from just feeling yourself hard out there in the world and being kind of not self-conscious about feeling yourself hard out there in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think about the first thing about managing feelings. I think I've always, you know, managing feelings and also the vanity thing. I think I've always judged feelings from myself that felt not kind of in line with that ethos. And so, and that kind of weird dynamic of like expecting people to be able to see how I actually feel when I need them to without ever setting up a precedent for that or ever like training anyone to actually know how I feel um I think wait now I need you to I need you to explain that a little just what we already mentioned about how um about the like keeping up the the front but I think especially as a kid there are moments when you feel like it's like needs to be like you want it to be someone else's responsibility to know how you feel because it's like so much harder to process that process feelings as a as a child so I think that that like that's a habit like a resentment building habit Mm-hmm. Um, where it's like this inability to effectively communicate, but then also an in a, but then also like an anger when people don't get what you're about in the moments that like you kind of need them to. That right. Makes sense. Right. So I guess the more you practice showing us that range of of who you are, that full range of who you are, the more we can respond to you. Yeah. Properly, fully. Yeah. So it's almost like you have to, I mean, you know, I feel like aggressive numbers always say to me, wait, what's the work again? I don't understand the work. It's always aggressive numbers that ask me that. And I'm like, you have to bring up feeling. Well, what does it mean to bring up feeling? It means like what we're talking about right now. It's like, 
you're avoiding feelings, avoiding feelings, having the front, having the front, having the front, and then you have a real feeling and then you're mad that we all bought the front. So it's then like, how do you disengage from the front and in little everyday moments, be present to yourself, practice being present to yourself and your real feelings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that you're training yourself and you're also training us to love you. Yeah. I also think the moments I had the most rage as a kid were like moments where I like knew, felt like I knew how to manage a situation or like fix something and somebody wouldn't allow it or like listen or like Hmm. like that like I just felt I think I always just felt super like capable of like like I like I had this awareness that like clearly some people didn't have of like (laughs) what the fucking politics of the room are right and then in moments where I felt like I wasn't trusted I guess to Mm take that on like that made me mad do you think a lot of children feel that way but yes and I was about to say I think that's just a feeling of being a kid and feeling like you're not taken seriously which is a super you know common thing to feel like you don't you don't have power yeah I do feel like a lot of times when dad and I would be in like stupid little fights and you'd be in the back seat and you would say, Hey, and you would sort of bridge us because you were putting feelings aside and you could say, this is what dad's wants. And this is what dad's saying. Okay. This is what mom wants. And this is what mom's saying. And you would like lay it out for both of us. Dad, who's trying to be completely detached and me who's being like super emotional and you would just lay it out and get us to kind of yeah see it almost like in a diagnostic like a diagnostic chart of a fight yeah and I do think we listen I do think we listen to you in those moments yeah I mean I I've said I think I've said this in therapy before that like I sometimes I feel like I know you and dad better than or like I understand you and dad better than you understand each other and that's so so, like incomprehensible to me um these moments of misunderstanding where I'm just like (laughs) right 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 and I and I do think that's kind of three superpower stuff yeah and that's a skill you have sometimes when we fight now that you're gone I'm just like if Alwell here she would be so distressed Nathaniel (laughs) she would be so distressed at the inefficiency and incompetency of this fight yeah it's very inefficient you guys are very inefficient i know Um, but i'm gonna go back to wendell berry and say do something that doesn't compute (laughs) yeah yeah okay thank you (laughs) you have anything else you want to say i don't think so okay do you have any things that you think that help you the most like for centering yourself and your feelings or I mean therapy is good because you can like say all the things all the things that in your head are not legitimate 
or stupid feelings. Right. It's like you're like actually voicing them because it's like doesn't matter and it's like you're not being observed really. It's your therapist. Right. So it's freeing, it's freeing for you. Yeah. And it's also like getting in the habit of like, okay, I just said that out loud and like it wasn't as batshit as I thought it would sound, you know. Right. Ah. Um that's good. A lot of verbal processing I think is helpful for me. Like if I'm just alone even, like just like saying things to see like if they sound as crazy as you think they're gonna sound. Just like little feelings. Yeah, little feelings. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's good. (laughs) Flexing little tiny muscles, little tiny feeling muscles. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, thank you so much. I can't seem to focus when you don't seem to notice I'm not I'm just a mirror You check your complexion To find your reflections all alone I had to go Can't you hear Changed my plans Cause I